Welcome back to another episode of the Transform Your Life podcast. I'm Angela Haug, founder of the international online coaching business, Team Ange. I'm an expert in building muscle and losing fat, a natural figure and fitness pro athlete with the UFE, and a lover of everything personal development. I'm a mom, a businesswoman. Most days, I just feel like a hot mess trying to keep it all together. I spent the first two decades of my life overweight, tired, hating vegetables, and living off Pepsi. I got sick and tired of feeling tired every day and decided to transform my life. This fitness and nutrition podcast is dedicated to educating and empowering listeners on all things training, nutrition, and personal development. I'm on a mission to help you improve your body, achieve your goals, live a confident and fulfilled life stepping into your full potential. So let's help you transform physically and mentally to a person that's been hiding underneath all along. Let's do it. Hey guys, what's up? Welcome to today's episode. Today I had the opportunity to chat with a wonderful man by the name of David Krantz. We talk all about epigenetics. Now, if you're anything like me, epigenetics might be something that you've never heard about or something that's relatively new in terms of a topic, but epigenetics is essentially, I'm going to let David explain it in better depth in our conversation here, but epigenetics is really just going deeper than knowing what we believe to be our predetermined genes and kind of what we're born with. So what we've come to realize is that depending on our lifestyle, some of the genes in the DNA that we're born with could either be turned on or be turned off. So today's conversation is incredibly interesting. I think you guys are going to get a lot of value and learn a lot more about yourself and about maybe some of the reasons why certain things work well or don't work well for you. So David, he's a certified epigenetic coach and one of the most sought after experts in the field of individualized genetic-based nutrition. As a lifelong musician, David sees the various systems of the body as parts of a complex symphony. And as a coach, he excels at helping clients fine-tune those parts to create harmonious health and harness their creative and personal power okay so David really his specialty is helping people understand the way that your body is wired at the deepest levels he teaches people how to take the steps that they need to take to use the information so to how to take their genetic makeup and create optimal health and happiness by aligning themselves with the right nutrition supplements herbs lifestyle routines and just really that individualized approach so that you can optimize your health so today's chat what are we going to talk about so why your destiny doesn't lie in your genes but rather can be shifted by how you live your life we talk about how food is really only one part of the equation and how we have to really look into our environment, what our artificial lighting and EMF overload is doing for ourselves, how we should be setting up our days so that we can get our circadian rhythm really working optimally. We talk about how our parents and grandparents' lifestyles, stress and nutrition are passed along and how that's impacting you. And we also talk about how to set up our children and their children and their children for success by diving into epigenetics. So let's get into today's conversation, my conversation with David, all about epigenetics. Let's do it. All right, David, thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome, Angela. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. Fantastic. Well, I have to say the email that you originally sent over to me had so much that you are an expert in and so much knowledge that you just have to share. But 
For today's chat, I really wanted to dive into epigenetics, and it sounds like this may be a topic that you're quite passionate about. Yeah, absolutely. Love to dive into epigenetics, and I am really passionate about it for a couple different reasons, uh, both kind of because of my own personal background and what I've learned about myself, um, you know, and how epigenetics relates to it, and then how using epigenetics has really led to some really fantastic uh, outcomes and results for my clients. Mm, very cool. So let's start with your personal story or your personal background and how that's integrated into your now passion for it. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when I was growing up, I think I grew up very much like any angsty teenage kid. You know, there was a lot of uh, emotion that was repressed and inability to really kind of handle stress and, and things in a in a constructive way. And um, when I was in my mid early twenties, it, it really caught up with me and I started having this nervous system dysfunction, dysregulation. And I was, I was passing out in very kind of scary ways. Like I would just, uh, it, a few times it happened where I just woke up and I was unconscious you know, from being unconscious. And I would, and I, you know, I went and saw a cardiologist and of the traditional medical things to make sure there wasn't anything seriously wrong with me. And the answers that I got was, well, there's nothing that we can find that is really, truly wrong with you. Like you're just going to have to deal with this. And I started researching more about the stress response and really trying to get a handle on, okay, what's going on in my body? Why am I having these reactions this way when, you know, consciously I know nothing scary is going on. Like there's nothing that I should be responding to in this way. But on a deeper level, my nervous system is responding in this very threatened kind of way. And one of the things that I, I found eventually, you know, not immediately, but um, once I started getting into epigenetics, and I can tell you a bit how I, I arrived there, what I, I came to understand was that a lot of my family history and family trauma, um, my grandparents on my mom's side were both in the Holocaust and concentration camps. Um, what they found is that uh, children and, grand and children of people that have experienced trauma like that, and there's really good generational studies now on Holocaust survivors, is that people have to tend to have a heightened stress response like that. The, the fight or flight or freeze response tends to be more exaggerated. And I happen to be someone that, um, you know, through over time, it just built up and built up. And when I was exposed to situations in my life, difficult emotional relational situations, it really kind of just... Uh, all came apart. And so over time, um, kind of using a combination of nutrition and um, meditation and yoga and other mind-body practices and really looking at how all these things kind of work together to influence things on the epigenetic level, I really feel that I've made some really big shifts in the way that my nervous system now responds versus when it did you know, when I was in my early 20s. And looking at epigenetics as this kind of common factor that can link both how you're born into the world and the changes that you can create through different lifestyle and different nutrition, um, it really is this amazing um, kind of center hub that allows you to look at, um, you know, your life as well as the life that, you know, kind of led up to you and, and also how you influence future generations. So that's a little bit about how epigenetics has really impacted my life. And, um, you know, I can tell you a little bit more about how I, I kind of came to that conclusion and that understanding. But um, yeah, like yeah. I'm curious on going through that and then coming to the realization that epigenetics was the source, because I feel as though probably earlier in your life, you were probably 
just feeling those things and, and responding in the way that you were responding, but perhaps not having those, those kind of tools. But how did you come to link them together? And also, was there anywhere along there that where you had a conversation with your parents in relation to any of this? Yeah, great question. That second one. Um, and yes, I, I've talked to my parents a lot about this. And when I look at the way that my family interacts with each other and the kind of constant low level anxiety that's present, especially in my mom, it really makes more sense, um, you know, in terms of uh, how those things got tr uh, transmitted generationally. Um, but, you know, I, I came to this conclusion through the help of a mentor. Uh, it wasn't just me figuring out on my own. I, um, I was, so my, my background is actually initially in music and I was working at a synthesizer company building musical instruments in Asheville, North Carolina about five or six years ago. And it was around the time that I was really trying to figure out what was going on with my body. And so I was listening to a lot of podcasts and I realized one day that one of my favorite podcasts um, the logo of the podcast was on the building next door when I went to go take a walk and I was like, wait a minute, are you serious? Like I've been listening to this doctor talk about all this genetic stuff and he has an office next door. So I, I made an appointment to go see him uh, and it turned out that they were actually looking for someone to help develop um, music and meditation programs for stress relief. And I was like, okay, this is too good, too synchronistic. And so I left my job at the synthesizer company uh, at Moog Music and, and started working with them. And right around the same time, this doctor, this guy, uh, Dan Stickler, um, if you're familiar, any of your listeners are familiar with Neurohacker Collective, um, the creators of the Qualia Supplement. He's the medical director for them. He's really uh, one of the experts in nutritional genetics and epigenetics out there. Um, and he just happened to be, ha have an office next door. And so right around the time that I was, you know, hired on by them, he started developing a training program for other physicians and other coaches that wanted to learn his method of using genetics and epigenetics in practice. And he kind of picked me out and was like, Hey, you, you actually have been doing a lot of learning on your own and you might make a good coach. Um, would you want to be kind of a beta tester for this training program that I'm putting together. Um, you know, I just kind of want to see how I'm able to transmit this information to people. And I, at first I was kind of skeptical, like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm still just trying to figure out how not to pass out randomly. I don't know if I can work with other people and, and help people. Um, but I, I kind of you know, trusted him and, and took his advice and, uh, was one of the first people he trained. And so a lot of that information was about how you can utilize people's individual genetic code to understand, you know, nutritional requirements and metabolic factors, but also how different foods and herbs and lifestyle habits like meditation, like yoga, um, like, in, you know, transgenerational influences are going to impact uh, all different functions on the epigenetic level. And, you know, maybe it would be helpful here to kind of talk to you, just explain what epigenetics is for your listeners a little bit, too. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That was my next question. So, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, up until about mid to late 80s, we really had this idea in biology. And this is what I was taught when I you know, went to high school. Most of your listeners probably learned this, too, is that genes code for proteins, which code for traits, meaning that all of your traits, so, you know, your hair color, your eye color, uh, your propensity for certain diseases, all these things are coded for by your DNA. And 
to a degree, that's true. Um, but what they found in the mid to late eighties was that there's another layer there that they had previously just not known existed. And that's what we now refer to as epigenetics. And so when you think about say the reason why your eyes are Brown, uh, your genes, their specific arrangement of these amino acids in the DNA creates this code that creates this protein that makes your eye that color or your hair that color. And actually hair is a really good example because when you see people, you know, going gray over time, that's actually happening at the epigenetic level. Um, and so what they found was, okay, there's these little marks that get attached to the genes that can change how much of that protein is being expressed or can change the shape and folding structure of that protein. And so, you know, uh, there's certain processes in the body like, you know, someone's hair going gray that are, are kind of encoded by the aging process. Uh, there's other factors that can be encoded by what you eat or, um, you know, what stress you're exposed to, uh, the sunlight you're exposed to on a daily basis. And, and so epigenetics is this kind of dynamic system in the body that allows us to adapt and shift the products of our genes and our DNA to respond to the environment. And, and really when you get to the core of it, it's this environmental response system that allows our body to do its best to adapt on a daily basis, on you know a, a lifetime basis, and then to some degree pass along information to the next generation that you know our biological system kind of deems as important. Where it's if you know if you're exposed to a ton of stress and a really difficult you know upbringing and you know, when you go to have kids, some of that information is transmitted on to, to try and prepare the next generation to, for similar conditions. And so that's to some degree what I think happened to me is that, um, you know, that information about a very stressful, dangerous environment that you should, you know, ideally be on guard about if you are in that situation, um, kind of got imprinted on and, and passed along. And, it's simultaneously a fantastic way to understand how we came to be and then also a really empowering way to understand how we can change things for ourselves. Amazing. And when it comes to like getting started with that, I think the popular thing that a lot of people probably know about are things like the 23andMe test and, and those kind of tests that are analyzing our genes. Is, is that the best place for somebody to start in terms of like understanding what's going on with their genes? Or is there some other place where you would recommend people get started in terms of getting to know what kind of genes they have? Yeah, I think that those are decent starting places. Uh, the issue with 23andMe and you know other services that are out there like that is they don't really provide a lot of the more useful information. Um, like when you go into the, the health reports on 23andMe, they'll give you some like disease risk stuff, but they're very tightly regulated by here in the US, the FDA, um, to say you know what they're allowed to tell you and what they're not. So um, there's very little information from, from 23andMe in terms of what are the things that you can do and the steps that you can take and the actual action items you can implement into your life to change genetic expression. So um, 23andMe is okay, but they don't include the epigenetic piece of how do you shift that function? How do you shift those potential risks? Um, which is what I'm really focused on and the company that I'm affiliated with called Apiron, um, really where our model differs in terms of those tests that are out there, like 23andMe. Um, because we really focus on, all right, what's going to be the most impactful things we can get out of this? How can you learn about 
you know, what we know from the scientific studies that say, um, you know, when this group of people eats a certain type of diet versus this group of people eats a certain type of diet, um, you know, what are the outcomes going to be? And we're really focused on uh, the combination of that underlying genetic code, um, what 23andMe looks at, but then also, you know, what's the epigenetic way to positively shift the genes we want to shift, upregulate the the beneficial ones and downregulate the ones that maybe, um, you know, cause uh, disease states or inflammation or things like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's interesting. I had something of that nature done and then had, I don't know what their background was, but had somebody analyze it in our uh, in our journey for me to get pregnant. So I was having a lot of hormonal issues and then they did the 23andMe test, but then they needed some sort of like health data report thing that you can pull from the 23andMe website and then they did the analysis of it and then they looked at was the gene turned on or not turned on and she used like words that you probably know not ones that I can remember but there was like sometimes they were turned on with like both of them and sometimes only one of them was turned on do you know what I'm talking about or... Yeah, absolutely. So, um, and, and yeah, and what you're describing there is the 23andMe has the raw data in the back end that you can download and upload into a variety of different systems. And I okay. actually can utilize that. I can use that too okay. um, in, in what I do. And yeah, the preconception stuff is fantastic use of that information. I'm, I'm curious, did you have good results from that? I found, I found out interesting results for that. So some of the things that were interesting were like, some of the ingredients that are in like your regular prenatal vitamin, my body doesn't do the conversion of it. Mm-hmm. I think it was like folic acid, but sure. my body yep. needed folate or something like that. And my body wasn't converting vitamin D. So even when I go out in the sun, my body isn't able to like absorb it. So it, it's, she was explaining that like, it'll be something that I'll always have to essentially like um, supplement for. So those were the two major ones in relation to fertility that I remembered. And then she just gave me a list of specific things to eat or not to eat that were going to also help with, um, with us trying to get pregnant as well. So those were the pieces that I found, uh, that I found interesting. There was some stuff about, um, like genes related to specific heart, like, heart disease, stroke, some of those. And I think I had a lot of the genes, but they weren't fully turned on. Like it was almost, the way she explained it was like, if you continue on with the lifestyle that you're leading, you'll be fine because they they won't essentially like express themselves the way that they would if you weren't to continue with the lifestyle, which is kind of what you're saying, right? Is you can have those genes, but when you make those changes to your lifestyle and put those specific things into place, they're not going to necessarily express themselves in the same way. Yes, exactly. That that's a perfect way to describe it. Where um, you might be, you know, born with certain gene variants that carry certain risk depending on your lifestyle and depending on if you, you know, eat a certain way or. Um, you know, expose yourself to certain chemicals or things like that. But but kind of knowing what the most important pieces are, um, like for you getting uh, folate, not folic acid, uh, that's going to radically shift some gene expression for someone with certain variants like um, you're describing. Um, Like just knowing where those really important pieces to pay attention to are can make such a huge difference in, um, you know, health and longevity and um, things like trying to get pregnant or, um, 
you know, making sure you have the energy that you want. Mm-hmm. So in your initial analysis, what sort of changes did you need to make to have your genes expressed differently? Yeah. So for me, one of the biggest things I found out was that I don't respond well to polyunsaturated fats, uh, especially omega-6 fats. Um, and, you know, you usually hear that uh, nuts are really good for you. Nuts are a healthy fat. And I, I have a gene, it's called the ApoA5 gene. Um, that has been shown to people that eat higher amounts of polyunsaturated fat tend to have more inflammation, uh, higher uh, BMI, you know, obesity. Um, and one, and that was just one thing that that I once I figured I, I learned that through my genes, I, I started paying attention to it, and it became obvious really fast that on the days where I didn't eat a lot of nuts, you know, I can have you know some, um, but you know not on days when I didn't eat a lot of nuts, uh, the next day I would feel, you know, thin and not inflamed and, um, you know, be a little bit sharper. And then on days where I would like binge out on a bunch of, uh, you know, cashews or something like that, uh, the next day I realized that like, oh yeah, my face actually feels kind of puffy and inflamed today. Like it was such a fast, quick, um, kind of response. I was, you know, really amazing. That, that was one of the biggest, most noticeable things. And one of the other things for me was, um, are you familiar with chaga mushroom? Yeah. Yeah. So the first time I ever tried chaga, uh, and this was before I got my genetics, um, I had this response to it where I would, I just felt amazing. Like I was like, I feel high right now. And my wife tried it and you know, not like really high, but just like buzzing with energy. And oh, my, yeah, my, yeah. Yeah. My yeah. wife tried it and she was like, yeah, this is fine, but I don't really feel the same thing. And so when I got, when I looked at my genetics, I, I, realized I had a, a variant in this gene called SOD. Um, it stands for superoxide dismutase, and it's one of the really important antioxidants in mitochondria that help with energy production. And one of the things that chaga mushroom has in it is really high amounts of superoxide dismutase. And my wife doesn't have that variant. And so when I looked at that and, and kind of connected the dots, it made me think, oh, this is the reason why I felt so good from that. And I had kind of naturally discovered something, you know, and felt it intuitively in my body that I was kind of deficient in. And it just kind of connected the dots that way, which I thought was a pretty cool um, confirmation of my own, you know, feelings in my body. The other thing it really uh, confirmed, not so much for me, but for my partner, was that early on when I first started trying to shift some health stuff, I, I got into keto and, um, you know, I, I started cooking a lot of high fat foods and it worked really well for me. And my genes actually confirmed that, um, you know, I have a lot of the variants that actually are pretty suitable for a higher fat approach, but pretty quickly my wife started gaining weight and yeah, I was, you know, I was feeling great. I was losing weight. I was thin and she just started packing on the pounds and like, we really quickly realized just from that, that, okay, we've got to figure out how to, you know, cook for both of us. But I still had had in the back of my head, like, oh, she's just not doing it right. There's something, you know, she just needs to try to do it a little bit differently. Um, but then when I looked at her genes, like she has all of the very clear, uh, low saturated fat is optimal type genes, uh, and really validated that experience of having totally different responses to a higher keto style diet for both of us. That's so interesting, eh? Oh yeah. <laughs> and it's 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 taken a lot of tension out of the relationship too, which is yeah, you know, it's, it's yeah. nice. 
that yeah that's super that's super super interesting um i feel like the that's why i get so hot and bothered about like trend diets or like things that just when there's these big waves of everybody feeling like that is the best nutrition approach for them and i just think we are so unique in a way that like there is no way that one diet is like the best diet for every single person on this entire planet so it drives me crazy whenever like a girl will try a diet and she tells all her girlfriends yeah you go try that diet because it's gonna work so great for you and like it's like often does not work that way it often is like exactly like your experience where it worked really great for one person but it just wasn't well suited for a lot of people to all follow the exactly same approach. Now, one of the other things that I wanted to talk to you about is the fact that food is only a part of the equation. So when it comes to health, I also believe there's all these other things that we can do outside of nutrition that that can have a big impact on our health. So the first thing I wanted to talk about with that is the environment. How can we shift our environment to set it up in a better place for our health, David? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, great question. And I just have to go back and, and just agree with you so much about the idea that, you know, there's just not a perfect diet for everyone. Um, I would argue that there's a perfect diet for each individual, but it's not going to be the same one as, as anyone else. And um, you really, you, once you can understand that, you start to understand why people get really excited about those things and want to share them with other people. Um, and it's not those people's faults for writing diet books and saying, Hey, this is fantastic. It worked for me. It's just, we need to kind of have a more evolved understanding of, um, you know, really how we're individually wired and, um, looking at the genetics really just gives you, you know, a, a better picture of that and allows you to bypass the fad diet thing and just go directly to, well, maybe we can take a piece from this diet style or a piece from that diet style and, and match these things to a holistic, like actual, um, you know, nutritional style, not just a diet, but something that's actually sustainable for you in the long run. But yeah, in terms of the, uh, the, the question you asked there, this is where I think epigenetics really gives us one of the best understandings of how all of these things are linked. Um, all of the things that you're exposed to on a daily basis, your body interprets as information. And food is just one type of information that your body gets. So you think about the electromagnetic signals your body is exposed to on a daily basis, the, the sunlight it gets, different types of light, um, the, the stress response and hormonal uh, response that you are going to have, you know, interacting with your friends and family and, and people you have relationships with, um, you know, the, the chemicals you put in your body, um, or, you know, inhale from pollution, all kinds of things like that. But I, I think one of the biggest ones that people miss because it just kind of blends into the background right now is light. Um, you know, we're living in a, society for the first time in human history, really in the last hundred years where we have artificial light sources that are on all the time that aren't the sun. And if you think about the way that our body has evolved over time, it, it's been in the presence of the sun. Uh, that's been the main light source and the main source of electromagnetism that our bodies have evolved with. And there are more and more studies coming out, especially in the past 10 years, that really indicate uh, that we are kind of having a, a 
massive problem from overexposure to artificial light sources and blue light especially. Um, and I'm curious, have you talked about this on your, your show previously in no. terms of blue light? Okay. No, um, no. Okay, great. So, um, yeah, I think this is one of the big areas of health that people can shift. And there's so many delicate processes in our body that rely on light as a input source. And, you know, this comes back to epigenetics when I was saying we have these daily rhythms in our bodies that are controlled by what they call circadian genes. And these circadian genes are really sensitive to light. And, you know, if you imagine how these genes evolved over time, um, they would have been using the cycle of the sun throughout the day to basically set the clock. Um, and as the sun moves through the horizon, the light frequencies from the sun actually change a little bit. You know, like in the early morning, you get certain colors in the sky. And then like right before sunset, you get, you know, kind of a different set of, of colors. Like the blues will pop just, you know, maybe 10 minutes before sunset. And historically, like that really would have been the time of day where blue light would we would have been exposed to the most blue light. Um, and when I say blue light, I mean part of the white spectrum where, um, you know, you're, you, when you look at a screen, you're getting all kinds of frequencies, but the, the blue light portion of that spectrum is very, very high, very high compared to what you'd see from the sun. And what ends up happening, um, and the science is really strong behind this, is that it really disrupts our circadian clock. And it disrupts the rhythm of hormones and neurotransmitters and these delicate timing processes that are designed to keep our bodies, you know, just functioning and firing on a really tightly defined, refined kind of kind of way. And it's like if you imagine, a, you know, a symphony orchestra with a conductor, the circadian genes are kind of that conductor. And what um, excess blue light does is it kind of distracts all of the members of the orchestra and they can't focus on this sort of synchronizing timing mechanism and it throws things off. And there's research now that shows people that are exposed to higher amounts of blue light have higher uh, risk for diabetes and insulin resistance, higher risk of obesity, uh, higher risk of neurodegenerative diseases. Um, and that people that are exposed to more natural light earlier in the day, so like morning sunlight is really important, have lower risk of obesity and basically the exact opposite of what I said, lower risk of insulin resistance. And so we really want to try and realign with natural cycles and realign with the with some of the signals our bodies would have gotten. Um, you know, and I think that's popular in like the paleo food movement of trying to get rid of a lot of the processed foods and and, you know, high sugar content that is kind of a product of our modern world. Um, but you can't just stop at the food. You got to go to the other information. And the research really suggests that the light that you're getting exposed to is just as important information as the food you're eating. Um, and so, you know, on a, on a practical level, it's about trying to get out in the sun on a healthy basis. You know, you're not trying to burn yourself, but, you know, making sure you're getting good exposure on your skin on a daily basis and limiting your exposure to blue light uh, from your screens and uh, blocking blue light at night with certain types of orange or red glasses can be very, very helpful in improving your sleep quality. Because one of the things blue light does is it suppresses the production of melatonin, which is the main sleep hormone. And when you suppress the production of melatonin, um, you, know, you decrease sleep quality. And the reason for this is, like I mentioned, your circadian genes use blue light as a signal to 
make or suppress melatonin because in you know ancient times uh, we after sunset the only light we would have been exposed to is fire which is very very low in blue light and it would have naturally allowed our melatonin production to ramp up and help us get good sleep and so now you know if you think about people that fall asleep with the tv on or are you know watching netflix right until the moment they fall asleep you are really doing damage to your body's ability to rest and repair and rejuvenate at night because you're not getting the proper hormonal responses from your light sources um so in terms of environment i, I really see blue light and um, natural light kind of as a as a major hack that anyone can implement very simply almost for no money um, that can augment and really um, make all of the other things that you do as far as you know living a healthy lifestyle and and eating well and exercising um, getting the light exposure piece just acts as the glue that holds it all together I I think that's amazing I feel like that has is this relatively new like I've heard a couple podcasts and stuff talking about it but in terms of the discovery of science associated with it is that is it on the new side in terms of research it's relatively new um, I mean I, I'd say you know, the last 10 years and then in the last five, there's, there's been a just massive uptick in the research on this. Um, and it's, it's pretty clear and pretty robust. And when you actually look at what some of the major light manufacturers are doing right now, um, like Philips or GE that, you know, people that make light bulbs, um, there's a few companies out there that have kind of gotten the message and started making more biologically friendly lights. And I think we're going to see, I really hope that we see some of the the market shift in terms of lighting products um, in the next few years because um, this is just something that you know we weren't aware of when we you know started producing light bulbs and you know putting lights in houses and buildings you know uh, 60 70 years ago and uh, there there was actually some research that was done in the 60s that kind of initially pointed to some of this. Um, but really in terms of confirming it and getting some of the, um, statistics on population, like the stuff about obesity and, and disease risk related to light, um, that's really been in the last 10 years or so. Mm -hmm. And where would somebody go if they wanted to get the type of glasses to block the light that you suggested? Um, there's a few different companies out there. Um, some good ones are Raw Optics, RA Optics, Swanwick Sleep makes some good ones. I don't have any affiliation with these companies at all. I just um, no. There's also a um, a website I like a lot called Reading Glasses, etc. Um, and they don't market themselves as a red light blocking or blue light blocking company, but you can order any glasses that they make with the proper tint, which um, from them that it's called the BPI 500 or BPI 550. The 550 is a little bit more intense, um, but both are suitable for blocking blue light at night. And, you know, they basically just look like glasses um, with red lenses. And because the red is going to filter out blue light, it, it prevents the um, the most harmful frequencies from hitting your, your eyelid or your eyeballs at, at night when um, you want to be producing melatonin. Uh, so the, you know, the trick with that is you essentially just put them on as soon as the sun goes down and wear them until you go to sleep. And um, I personally and both me and my wife notice a, a massive difference in the way we feel in the morning when we you know do that a couple nights in a row. And um, it's one of the most important hacks you can do right now from an environmental perspective. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like we should put them on our kids, too? 
Uh, yeah, absolutely. And and the research shows that kids are more sensitive to blue light and more sensitive to electromagnetic um, kind of smog and pollution uh, than adults. So I think that um, the uptick in ADHD and a lot of the kind of the effective emotional stuff going on, I mean, there's a really big rise in, in all kinds of mental illness amongst kids. Um, the research that links excess blue light exposure to mental illness is strong. And that is starting to become known in the psychological and psychiatric worlds a little bit. Like um, there's there's trainings now there that information is starting to get into trainings for doctors in that realm saying, you know, this is an important thing to pay attention to if you have depression or anxiety or um, any type of, you know, kind of abnormal, you know, functioning there. The blue light, excess blue light is just going to make it worse and having poor sleep because of that is just going to make it worse. Um, and so it's one of those things where, uh, you know, if you want to give yourself a fighting chance, um, managing the light exposure and for your kids too, I, I think is just so important. What about other stuff we should be doing for our kids? Good question. Man, I'm just such a proponent of getting kids outside. And, and aside from the light piece, I think exposure on a microbiome level to dirt and to, um, you know, the ability to play outside is so huge. I'm curious if you have anything in mind when you ask that question. If there's anything that you're curious about, um, maybe I could speak to a little more specifically. Well, essentially what I'm thinking back to is how you came into this world and had you were carrying the trauma from your grandparents. And mm -hmm. I'm just wondering how do we, like at what age do we take our children and try to figure out even the like genetic stuff, you know what I mean? Because like, yeah, like at what point is it? Are we trying to make those kind of discoveries to give them the best fighting chance? Like, I feel like for you and myself, I feel like the first two decades of my life, I, I this was not my pathway in in any way. But I also feel as though there wasn't a lot of talk about any of this within my home either. Um, um, parents were obviously doing the best that they could in relation to raising me and my sisters. But yeah, that's what I'm, I guess that's probably the root of the question is how do we from infancy and as we're raising them prioritize health, not from just the nutrition standpoint, but from the point of like figuring out maybe what's going on with their genes and how we can best support their journey through health. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll answer that from kind of two different perspectives. Um, one from the more kind of biochemical side of things and the other from the emotional and mental side of things, which, you know, I think there's a ton of crossover and in some cases it's almost inseparable. But, um, you know, on the emotional side of things, I, I think giving kids the tools to better learn how to express their emotions. Like when I think back to when I was a kid, um, you know, my parents did a, a really pretty good job raising me overall. Um, but at the same time, like I was kind of caught up in the typical American male inability to express emotion and, and be comfortable with, um, you know, difficult emotions like anger or sadness or, or things like that. And, you know, once I began to learn how to meditate when I was older and, and went to therapy and, and started to really uncover this stuff, I really 
thought, well, man, I, if I had just learned some of these skills, you know, when I was, you know, 10 years old and they were presented to me in a way that uh, made me feel empowered rather than there was something wrong with me, um, which is kind of how I felt anytime, you know, the idea of like therapy or, or anything like that was, was brought up. And, and so I just kind of forced myself to do it. Um, you know, I think I think normalizing asking for help and normalizing um you know, practices that really allow for better self-regulation. And I think that's kind of the core of it is, um, the self-regulation piece. Like I, like there's at least three holes I can remember punching in my parents' walls when I was a kid. (laughs) Um, which, you know, I'm not proud of, but like at the same time, you know, I just didn't have the tool and skill set to manage my emotions and, and really understand how to talk about them. Um, and so from a, um, you know, uh, a healthy sense of being able to un- a understand what's going on in your body and name it and learn calming techniques, um, learn introspection and actually make that like a virtue for your kids. I feel like, like that being something that to aspire towards, uh, and something that's just as important as getting good grades in school or, uh, you know, performing well in sports that, developing emotional intelligence, I think is so important. Um, and when I have kids is, is going to be something that I really focus on, um, because it's a piece that I recognize was missing for my life. Um, uh, and it's just not something that's taught or talked about, you know, in kind of mainstream culture right now for the most part. Um, and then from, you know, the other angle, um, the more biochemical and biological side of things, um, you know, doing things like getting your genes tested. Um, I really don't think there's any time that's too early for that because, you know, the way that I would approach it with a, a kid, um, and an adult is no different. Like you, a lot of people have the idea that, you know, getting your genes tested means you're going to learn something scary about yourself. And I'm really on a mission to kind of get rid of that mentality because, you know, as a kid, um, you just want to know what's going to, what you, what you can eat, that you're going to like the taste of. And if it makes you feel good, that's even better. And I think helping kids start to develop the, the capacity to kind of self assess and make the link between, you know, what they eat and how they feel and start early on, like kind of helping them just monitor themselves. Like, okay, if you eat, you know, 20 candy bars, how do you feel in three hours after the sugar crash happens, you know, and kind of like really helping them make those connections. And then, you know, by looking at, you know, what the optimal balance of, um, nutrients or, or things that they might kind of tend to be deficient in and need more of, you can really, you know, just make the shift with what they're taking into their bodies. That's going to help them grow strong and healthy and, um, you know, avoid all the issues that, that people are seeing these days with their kids. Um, and I think, you know, in terms of obesity, we're, we're in kind of a, a weird spot with kids where they're getting all the wrong environmental signals. And so shifting things like light, uh, screen time and, and coupling that with knowing the, you know, the proper nutrition for them on an individual level, I think can make such a huge difference. And then it kind of creates this feedback loop with all of the mental and emotional stuff I'm talking about. Um, where if they are, you know, they're, they're functioning at a high level on a, you know, biology physiology level, um, it creates a little bit more space. Um, and this is something I see with my clients all the time where once they get kind of the brain function and cognitive function back online a little bit with 
more energy and more focus and uh, using nutrition and lifestyle stuff, the emotional stuff kind of comes together too because there's more brain power. There's more mental clearance to kind of do the, do the work and, um, you know, be a little bit more self-assessing and be a little bit more self-aware and make, uh, you know, make better choices in the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the, the conversation piece is, is so important because I feel as though as we raise our kids, the the message of no, you can't have that or no, you can't do that or all of this no, no, no without them like robbing them of the experience and then essentially explaining the experience, I think gives them the tools of connecting those dots versus the because I said so, or because that's the way we do it, or those kind of things. Like we almost think kids can't grasp those things, but I think even from very early ages, they are grasping onto that and they are connecting the dots with that. And yeah, so I think I I totally agree with everything that you just said in relation to that. I think the biggest piece is just allowing those experiences to still happen without saying, hey, you can never have candy, allowing them to have the candy and then connect the dots that way. Yeah, absolutely. Letting letting kids make their own choices is so important. Um, and educating them on why they might want to make a, a certain choice um, and kind of giving them the freedom to do that. But, you know, reinforcing um, reinforcing certain behaviors. And, um, you know, I, I think that behavior change becomes it's so much more sustainable when it's a choice rather than something that you feel like you're being told to do. Um, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I was a super rebellious kid. Like if someone told me to do something, I was going to do the opposite of it. Mm-hmm. Um, just me by too. my nature. Yeah. yeah me too. Um, yeah. And, and so, and, and, and so we end up now, you, you know, doing, um, helping people, um, find alternative routes to better health because yeah. we did the opposite of what, you know, mainstream society was telling us to do, which, you know, good place to be. But, um, I think giving kids the, um, kind of that room to really come to their own understanding. And, um, I think you can set things up in a way that allows that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, David, this is kind of sidebar from what we've been talking about, but my listeners are always very interested to know this from the guests that I speak with. And that is, do you have a morning routine or some daily rituals that you feel as though really support your health? Uh, yeah. So, you know, my, my morning's routine has changed over time. What, what I do right now, um, is I wake up and first thing I do is I do an infrared sauna. Um, and I meditate for about 20 to 30 minutes. Um, sometimes a little bit more depending on the day while I'm doing that. And then I make breakfast. Usually I'll either do, I kind of switch back and forth between a, uh, like bulletproof coffee style thing and then like a salad with some sardines or some type of fish with it. So I kind of switch back and forth between those two and I try and cycle those um, depending if I'm in more of a kind of high fat keto mode or going for a more balanced kind of approach. And actually I met, I forgot to mention before, really, truly the first thing I do is I walk outside and stand on the ground with my bare feet and get some sun on my skin uh, and then I'll do the infrared sauna. Um, but that anchoring of morning sunlight is really the first thing that I'll do that kind of starts my day out. Mm, I love that. Do you feel like somebody who works different shifts should have something like, how do I say this? Like, for example, my husband works uh, night shift, right? So 
he would have like his circadian rhythm obviously would be different but would you say that like it makes more sense to do that prior to do you know what I mean like he wakes up and it's like I don't know like four or five do you feel as though still prioritizing that even though you're kind of sleeping during the sunlight is still of the same importance in terms of grounding um, I would say that he should try and get as much sunlight as he can during the day when he's awake. Uh, I mean, shift work really puts, puts a pretty big toll on the human body, uh, like that. And, and the biggest thing would be to try and keep it consistent. You know, like if, uh, if he's able to maintain that waking up at four o'clock, like every day and isn't flopping back and forth, like on the weekends, then utilize the sunlight to reinforce your circadian rhythm in, in the same way. The the real issues come when your body's trying to make sense of set schedules that flip flop back and forth, um, that don't always have that same regular rhythm, but then sometimes have that type of four o'clock schedule. So it would kind of depend on, I guess, whether he is fully consistent every single day or is kind of shifting that depending on the day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's helpful. for Sure. Now, the last couple questions that I have for you here, David, is I know you do some coaching. So tell me a little more about your coaching business and what you help people with. Yeah, absolutely. So I help people with a variety of different requests and concerns. A lot of it is just people that are looking for uh, optimal health and wanting to feel more energy, lose some weight. Um, and then I work with some people that ha- are working with specific conditions, autoimmune conditions. I-, I do a lot of work with people that just haven't found success with other avenues. Um, and all of my services kind of start, you know, start with a genetic test. Um, I use our company, Apiron's genetic tests, which um, I really like because what we've done is we work with a private lab. And the issue with 23andMe uh, is that they're business model is built so they um, they're basically selling your data to other companies as part of the business model and so what we do is we take a lot of care around data privacy and data security um, and uh, also our our test is a little bit more thorough Um, but we start with that it's a cheek swab test you do at home and then people can select kind of what areas they want to look at whether it's nutrition and supplementation or or sleep or Um, athletic performance and recovery and exercise, um, detoxification. I also have a endocannabinoid panel, which looks at how your body responds to cannabis and how it produces its own endocannabinoids. And I do a genetic analysis, kind of take into account, you know, what that person's experience is. So if you're someone who's had, you know, specific um, health issues crop up, uh, I'm looking at your genes through that lens. And it really allows me to get a really clear picture on how certain genes are expressing and how you can really support certain pathways in the body that are going to really shift the function to a place where, you know, those symptoms are reduced. Um, you're getting the proper amount of nutrition and, and micronutrients for your body and um, using certain herbs to uh, shift genetic function epigenetically. And then from there, I work with people, you know, typically for either six or 12 months. Um, Some of my clients I work with on a coaching basis. Uh, Some of my clients I just kind of work with on an informational basis. Uh, But it really just depends on the person's style. Like if I 
uh, do an initial consult with someone who's a super health enthusiast and they have no problem, um, you know, creating a a routine and a regimen and sticking with it, then there's someone that I'd say, well, let's just do the genetic analysis. You probably don't need me as a coach. Um, But then I'll also work with people where, um, you know, they really want some support and some accountability and, and some help kind of continuing to refine and, and tweak the process over time and really, you know, kind of track some things. And so with those people, I'll, I'll work on a uh, coaching basis a bit more. Hmm, very cool. And you do something else with sound too, right? Yeah. So yeah, like I mentioned, my background's in music and yeah. um, I, I still produce music. Um, I do, I run a company called Inner Depth Audio. Um, We produce meditation programs and binaural beats, um, which can help the brain kind of get into different brainwave states that are associated with a more uh, meditative presence or relaxed presence, really help uh, with falling asleep or kind of shutting the mind off a little bit, kind of like technologically assisted meditation. And we also have a couple of programs that are really helpful for focus. Um, like if I'm sitting down to read a, a research paper, uh, I'll pop that on and it really kind of focuses my mind in a pretty instant way. It's, it's pretty great um, technology if you've never used um, that type of stuff. And it, it's been around for a while, but we've we've taken a couple different pieces that hadn't been really combined before and um, kind of put them into one package. So um, that's something that I do as well. Very cool. And will pe- people be able to find all of that on your website, David? People can find the the inner depth stuff uh, directly at innerdepthaudio.com. And then all of the other coaching offerings are going to be on my website at david-crantz, K-R-A-N-T-Z.com. And I also do free 30-minute consults for anyone that's interested, uh, whether you're interested in just kind of, you know, being curious about what looking at your genetics could do for you, or you're really serious about, um, getting healthy and getting, you know, more clarity and more brain function or really working on, uh, ending the symptoms of, of something you've been working on for a while. So, you know, whatever people are interested in, I'm, I'm happy to see if genetic, uh, testing and epigenetics would be a good fit for them. Cool. And where would you say you're headed over the next five years? Uh, the next five years, I'm actually in a master's program right now, going back to school to get a counseling degree. Um, so, you know, we talked a lot about the emotional and, and psychological side of things. Um, I'm really looking forward to adding that into my practice a bit more. Um, this one has been, been one of the big things that's helped me. And, um, you know, I work with people right now primarily on the lifestyle and nutritional and more um, physical side of things. But I really see being able to work with people on a more holistic mental and emotional way as, as part of uh, my path forward and what I'm uh, looking forward to doing with people there and um, kind of going more down that, that route myself. So that's kind of where I see myself going. Very cool. Very cool. Well, I'm glad that you reached out to me. This was a great conversation, David. Yeah, I really enjoyed it too. Got some great questions. Fantastic. So the final question that I have for you is how would you like to be remembered? Oh, that's a really deep question. (laughs) Um, You know, I I think I'd like to be remembered as someone who figured a few things out and then helped other people try and figure the same things out for themselves. You know, it's kind of comes down to me recognizing that I've had some unique experiences that not everyone has just off the bat intuitively have been in the right place at the right time in some ways. Um, and so I'm, you know, I'd love to be remembered as someone who kind of paid that forward and, and gave the same opportunity to other people. 
Amazing. Amazing. Well, all the best in your, fu- in your future endeavors. And uh, yeah, the episode will be live uh, over the next couple of days and I will be sure to tag you in it. Awesome, Angela. It was a pleasure talking with you. And um, yeah, let me know if there's anything else you want to talk about or need from me and we'll, we'll go from there. All right. Sounds good. Enjoy the rest of your day. Yeah, you too. Thank you. Bye. Bye. That's a wrap, guys. Hope you found some value in today's conversation. And if any of this resonated and you're thinking, you know what? I would really love to learn more or I would love to work with David to really get into genetic-based nutrition highly recommend that you reach out to this smart individual honestly this is information that is going to really make it so whatever you're doing in relation to your lifestyle is really in alignment with what is going to be best for your body like we shared in some of the stories in today's conversation really what works for you is not going to be what works for the next person and that's where I think David can really provide some amazing insights so again thanks for joining me for this week's episode I will catch you guys next week chat then Guys, I'm on a really big mission here and I want to transform 1 million lives, but I need your help. I can't do it alone. I want you to take this episode, share it with just one person. Maybe it's a friend or a family member or maybe a coworker, just one person who could really benefit from the information in this week's episode or perhaps a previous episode. That is how we create impact. That is how we get this movement going. That's how we take people from feeling tired and just not having a fulfilled life and we put them into fulfilling their full potential. So I challenge you guys to share this with just one person. It would mean the world to me. And as always, head on over to iTunes, subscribe so that you never miss an episode. They come out every single Thursday. That is my commitment to all of you guys so that you guys can continually grow, expand, and fulfill your full potential. Have a great week. We'll catch you next time. Lots of love. Ange.